Welcome to the Goals Podcast, the business case for women's sports, where we explore every corner of the women's sports industry from the field to the front office. I'm Caroline Fitzgerald, and I'm here to prove that it's good business to be in the business of women's sports. Today's episode is brought to you by Ally, a change maker in women's sports, steadfast in their commitment to the fight for media equity, because we're all better off with an ally. Our guest today is Val Ackerman, the current commissioner of the Big East Conference and the first president of the WNBA. Welcome to the show, Val. Hey, Caroline. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Val, it's such an honor to have you on the show today. I have been wanting to talk to you to make the business case for women's sports for such a long time. So this is just such a special moment. And I'd like to start today by saying thank you for your unrelenting advocacy and work on behalf of women in sports. It's absolutely incredible. So thank you for blazing that trail. Well, it's been a um, it's been a, an experience to be on the front front row watching all the great changes since Title IX was passed and the um, sort of team sports started to find their way. And um, and I think we're now, you know, in the midst of some very exciting times. So there's a lot to talk about for sure. There definitely is. And before we get into all of that, though, I'd love to start by hearing more about your journey, your both personal and professional journey through sports that ultimately led you to the position you hold now with the Big East. Sure. Well, I'll try I'll try to keep it um, try to keep it short because I've been around for a while and I uh, wouldn't want to bore anybody with all the ins and outs of it. But I I really do credit um, my my days as an athlete with uh, getting me to where I am today. I grew up in a small town. There weren't many opportunities to play sports. Uh, my dad was a high school AD, so that was really my ticket. Uh, he nurtured my dreams. And uh, by the time I got to high school, Title IX had been passed, and there were opportunities for me to play field hockey and basketball and run track and, and really experience what male athletes have had the opportunity to enjoy for decades. So that was the real first taste for me of organized sports. I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to play basketball in college. I went to the University of Virginia. Um, It was an amazing experience, even though our program was so far behind where the men's program uh, was at the time. But I felt like we were pioneering and building something important and uh, it was an experience that uh, in many ways shaped my life. Um, I graduated, went on to law school, um, and then I ended up working in sports, really my second job out of law school. In 1988, um, I became a staff attorney for the National Basketball Association, which at that time was much smaller, um, really on the cusp of some real um, important initiatives in sort of their journey. And uh, so I was on the ground floor of some really exciting stuff that um, – culminated in 1996 with the decision to launch the WNBA. And as you mentioned, I was the first president of the league. I was um, very much involved with the launch and then running the day-to-day for the first eight years before, um, you know, my energy level sort of sapped and I I got sort of burned out with two, two young kids and decided to take a break. And so, um, but being part of the launch of the league and to see where, where that is today has been, um, has been a dream. Um, I've been at the Big East now 10 years. I was doing some things in between the WNBA and the Big East that allowed the Big East opportunity, I think, to unfold for me. And it's really, I guess I go full circle now because I'm in a job where I can uh, help with the um, quality of the experiences that are now available to young women across the country. We have 22 sports in the Big East. 12 of them are women's sports. And we're serving 
close to 3,000 female student athletes um, in our league. So it really uh, has been a full circle journey for me and uh, very exciting to see how much things have changed, improved, still some work to be done, but I'm going to be a, you know, a glass half full person about my assessment of, of where we've been. I think that's a great perspective. And I'd love to talk more about the WNBA. So when you were named president back in 1996, you became the first woman to successfully launch and operate a women's sports league in the U.S. So we're 27 years later from when that happened. And now we're seeing this incredible growth across the league uh, when it comes to fandom, revenue generation, player compensation, and more. So what's it like for you looking at the W today and seeing how the league has built upon those foundational blocks that you and your team laid during your tenure as president? Well, um, for one thing, I'm glad the league is still around. And I don't, I'm not trying to be funny or cute, but when we launched the league, that the sustainability was a core theme for us because at the time we launched, there had been other attempts to start um, women's pro basketball leagues in the USA. We we didn't have the internet back then, but we were able to do the, I don't know what they were called, nexus searches, or there was some way you could get the information. And I believe the number was there were 16 prior attempts to get women's pro basketball going in this country, and they had all failed. And so we knew we had our work cut out for us, but we really felt like the WNBA could be different from those failed efforts, um, in part because of the timing. Uh, we were coming off the Atlanta Olympic Games, so we had some wind at our back. Women's college basketball at that time was kind of cresting, uh, led by the UConn-Tennessee rivalry, and ESPN supported the Final Four. We chose a summer season, which nobody had ever done, but that was because we thought we could get better television then because it's less competition for prime TV windows. And in fact, the league still plays in the summer to this day. And then last but not least, of course, the NBA was willing to be behind it. So we had the best basketball organization in the world saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to back this and we're going to capitalize it and we're going to promote it and we're going to support it in every way. And I was sort of running, you know, air traffic control, bringing the departments of the NBA to bear on this new league. So with all of that, uh, we really felt confident, but still we knew it was a marathon and not a sprint. And uh, we had our ups and downs. We had a lot of ups and then started to get some downs. And so for me, the short answer to your question is, yeah, it's wow. <laughs> so now 27 years later, league's still around, seems to be gaining some traction. I think times have changed in terms of the attitude around elite female athletes, their viability as a business enterprise. And so I, you know, I'm excited for the league and went to a game a couple of weeks ago. I'm sort of eyeing everything, comparing it to what I remembered. And um, I think that, you know, the best is yet to come. So it's exciting to have been part of the beginning of that. Absolutely. And I can only imagine how challenging it was to get that off the ground. I am familiar with some of those attempts to bring a pro women's basketball league to the U.S. before. And it's challenging. And we know it's challenging even to launch women's sports leagues Today in 2023, I can't even imagine what it was like 27 years ago. So Val, what do you think are the next steps that the league should or could take to continue its growth? And I know that's a tough position to put you in to comment on that, but what would you think with your perspective on everything? You know, yeah, I mean, I'm not running it and I defer to the powers that be there. They've got some very smart people involved. I, you know, the only thing, I guess my only comment would be, and I would say this about any pro league in this environment is the real, the ticket to success is fans. It's fan support. I mean, fan support drives everything in a pro sports league. It's literally the market deciding 
whether, you know, whether you should be around uh, and whether people should be in, you know, um, supporting you in ways that matter commercially. And so that's buying tickets. That's companies deciding to spend on sponsor packages. And importantly, it's people deciding to give up discretionary time to watch you on television because that's what ratings are all about. And ratings drive ad sales and that's money. And that gets the networks motivated and encourages them to support a league and pay rights fees. So it's really about fan support. And, you know, from the very beginning, the WNBA's had a core group of fans. You know, I, I was at a game recently and I a, literally a woman who was a season ticket holder for the New York Liberty the very first year came up to me and showed me the picture of me and her kid 27 years ago at an early Liberty game. So those folks are out there. You know, the key for any sports league is broadening beyond your core fan and trying to bring in that casual fan. I tip my hat to women's soccer, frankly, because of what the national team has has done for itself in terms of the broad base of fan support. I mean, it's it's just it's not just cutting across a traditional women's sports fan. They've really gotten mainstream, as we see from the from the ratings and the media coverage, especially for the Women's World Cup. So that's to me, and and women's tennis to me was another holy grail because the women had so ascended, they were sort of seen as, you know, on par with the men, the stars were sort of on an equal plane. And then that, you know, ended up getting reflected in, in compensation. So I think women's team sports still have a way to go to get to equity. But again, that's not Title IX here. That's the marketplace deciding. And the marketplace listens to fans. If they're coming to games, if they're watching on television, if they're buying product in stores, then uh, that drives the business forward. And all the things that create fan support around star power of your players, rivalries, playing games at good times of day or days of week, you know, creating added value for a fan, the role model appeal of the athletes, all those things, you know, drive, um, you know, people's interest in you. And in turn that, you know, that buoys the prospects of the league that you're associated with. So that to me is the I, you know, there's tactics around all of that, I guess. But I think in general terms, that to me is the formula. Val, I'd like to shift now to your work as the commissioner of the Big East. It's quite a moment for women's collegiate sports. We know fandom is growing. Investment as a result of that is growing from brands and donors. So looking at the women's college sports landscape right now, what are some of the things that you're most excited about? Well, everything you just said, I, I think there's uh, been momentum. That's been building up over the last, you know, few years in particular. Women's basketball had a low moment in 2021 with some issues that surfaced around the women's tournament. There was a report on that. There were corrective steps that were taken. I think it was a the silver lining was the the attention that's now being paid to things that were not being paid attention to. Um, so, so I think women's basketball is in a kind of, you know, college basketball, which has been around for a long time and has been sort of through its own journey is, is sort of on a good trajectory right now. We're seeing other women's team sports and individual sports making noise of their own. So whether it's, um, volleyball or gymnastics or women's ice hockey or, or soccer, I think I said soccer, field hockey, you name it. There's, you know, I think women's sports are kind of proving their, their worth from both a fan support perspective and ideally, hopefully at some point from a commercial uh, outcome perspective as well. You know, I see uh, sort of the participation, most many of the participation battles that were addressed by Title IX are kind of, you know, a little bit more in the rearview mirror. There's still things that have to be done to make sure that there's no slippage on, you know, equity and 
uh, in resources and facilities and the like. Um, but I think societally we've moved forward. Young girls play sports. Young boys support their their sisters, if you will, in their sports endeavors. Parents are very proud of their daughters when they have successful sports journeys and they get to see them in college or support them at the pro level. The Olympic team for USA is now more than half female. I mean, there's some big things that have happened in the last you know 50 years since Title IX was passed. So I'm an optimist about um, the story here and about the prospects. And I think at the collegiate level, just last thing to be said here, it is the single largest programmer of women's sports, I think, in the world. I mean, you've got 250,000 athletes a year who are coming up through D1, D2, and D3. So it is a serious platform. And all the while, um, not only creating these sports opportunities, but in in their way, creating women leaders. Women are going to use, just like I did at Virginia, you know, playing basketball. They're using my, the skill set I got from being an athlete into, you know, my professional endeavors. So it's a critical platform, I think, and uh, and hopefully it will maintain um, its relevancy and its um, and its potency for many years to come. Well, Val, I'm like you. I'm an optimist. I am just so energized by all of the strides that women's sports has made. And while there has certainly been so much progress when it comes to equity, we know that there's still a lot of work to be done on behalf of women athletes. So what do you think are some of the biggest things that need to change in order to achieve true equality in sports? Well, it's a loaded question. I mean, there's, you know, there's probably not one thing. I'll just maybe focus on um, a couple. One is, you know, making sure that the participation opportunities that were promised by Title IX for high school and collegiate athletes are there. And there are people whose jobs is just that. Jobs are just that, making sure those there's no slippage. So that's one. Number two, um, I you know I think uh, companies that are in the business of sports need to focus on their female customers because women have proven to be um, uh, an important and growing demographic for any sports organization. I mean, I sometimes laugh when I see old pictures of men's pro sports events, like an old basketball picture, and you look in the audience and it's all it's all white men, you know, wearing suits. And, you know, that was then. But now you look in the audience of any um, of any sports event, really, and it's a pretty diverse set of faces that you're staring at. And women are a big part of that. So understanding the importance of the female consumer of sports, I think, is something that companies that work in the business have to be attentive to. That's number two. Number three, um, I believe we will continue to see growth of these elite platforms. You know, the WNBA, the NWSL, um, there's a new Women's Pro Volleyball League on the horizon. Hopefully we can see more in Women's Pro Ice Hockey. There's some um, energy around that. You know, we've got the Olympics, of course, which are uh, a, a badge of honor for a country and female athletes are as big a part of that as the, as the guys are. So making sure, you know, those platforms uh, are sustainable, number one, and then two, can become more successful commercially so that the money can be reinvested back and then the players can benefit from those successes. Right now, they're on stiffer budgets in the men's leagues and the players are feeling the effects of that. So growing those. And then number four, I would just speak to you know, the desire that I have, um, and I think the need of our business to see more women in leadership positions in sports. I mean, that's kind of where I sit now. And it's better than it was when I started out at the NBA 35 years ago. There were no women, very few, who were working in leader roles. And that's changed dramatically, but it's still not 50-50. 
And, you know, yet the opportunities, I think, you know, are there and abound. And so whether it's women working in women's sports, women working in men's sports, probably like me works in both because I have a pretty serious role in men's sports at this, you know, at this point, making sure that the women who are going to follow us are nurtured, mentored, you know, given opportunities to make mistakes and like I did <laughs> and still, you know, grow and learn. I, you know, that to me is, a, is, is a, you know, that's a to-do. And there are groups, you know, people I know in college, Patty Phillips from Women Leaders in College Sports is a huge advocate of this. And the people who run uh, WISE, Women in Sports and Entertainment, are they live this. So we, you know, I and others support their efforts. So those, Caroline, they're just a few examples. You know, I could probably go into detail on any, but I think that's a framework that I sort of would suggest as we think about where we go from here. Absolutely. That's a wonderful framework. Bella, I just have one last question for you before we go to our closing rapid fire questions about NIL. Of course it is. I'm sure you take a lot of questions about this. It's obviously a hot and nuanced topic in the sports industry right now. How do you see the changing regulations around NIL specifically impacting female athletes? Well, NIL has been a boon for all athletes, to be honest. I mean, they now have income opportunities that didn't exist. Social media has a lot to do with that. What we're learning is that, you know, many, most of the deals are social media driven, meaning if you're, uh, if you're on Instagram and you have a significant following, that can now be valued and monetized. And it's not just men's athletes that are benefiting from that. We're seeing there are scores of examples of, of women athletes um, who are benefiting from, you know, these new newfound opportunities. So that's, I would say it's been a, it's been a plus. Um, you know, a, an important note here is that to the extent that these monies are coming from outside the schools, the schools are responsible for making equitable opportunities available, educating the athletes about how to maximize their, you know, their type, their, um, their NIL, you know, endeavors and opportunities, but it's the marketplace right now that's deciding who gets the money. And so, you know, it's, it may not surprise that many of these opportunities may be tipping <laughs> to football players or men's basketball players, because those are the two most visible sports and women's basketball, I'd say is probably third. Um, but that's just, that's the marketplace deciding. Um, but at the same time, you know, schools, I think are very attentive to doing their part to making sure that they're providing services so that the athletes know how to how to build their brands, how to make a deal, how to deal with an agent, how to deal with a contract, how to file their tax returns. Those are, I know, equitably offered services. But, you know, it, it's just too early in the game, NIL's two years in, to really understand fully what the trends will be in terms of men versus women, which sport versus what's, you know, another sport. But uh, but on whole, I, I think there's no disputing that it's, a, it, you know, it's a tremendous uh, development for athletes of all kind, including women's athletes. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see, honestly, whether the kinds of opportunities and, and, and uh, outcomes some of these college athletes have will continue if they go on to the pros, particularly because many of these endeavors are donor funded. They're not coming from the brands. At the pro level, there's no donors <laughs> to support NIL. It's all coming from sponsors. So that'll be of interest to me to see if a success NIL successful female athlete in college, if they quit playing sports and they're on their own, but if they do play at a pro level, whether the interest in them will continue. And that'll be, I think, a you know, a test of something a little bit different, which is the endorsement market for female pro athletes. But again, I think we're maybe too early in the game to really see what's going to happen. That'll definitely be something to keep an eye on as this continues to develop over the next couple of years. Okay, Val, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor before we come back and finish up with our closing questions. 
As you may know, the goal of this podcast is to show brands, networks, and people in general that it's good business to invest in women's sports. We know that women in sports are incredible and are breaking boundaries and setting records. But did you know they receive less than 10% of all sports media coverage? It's a vicious cycle. The lack of media coverage means fans miss out while networks and sponsors can't see the fan base and don't invest in the media. Now, more than ever, it's time for brands to jump in. That's why our sponsor, Ally, is making big moves to put an end to the cycle and give women's sports the coverage they deserve. This year, Ally is continuing to invest in access for women's sports through sponsorships with ESPN, CBS, and women-owned outlets giving fans more opportunities to watch what they want, where they want. So tune in and be part of the change. To learn more, check out watchtochange.com because we're all better off with an ally. Okay, we are back to close this conversation out. I can't believe how quickly this has gone. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. We're going to start with number one. So if you could wave a magic wand and create equity in one aspect of sports, what would it be? Well, you know, I I would say I hope someday the WNBA can be on a plane with the NBA, just like women's pro tennis is on a same plane as men's tennis. It's a great answer. I would love to see that happen too. Val, before we get to our last question, is there anything that you want to plug or anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? You know, I would just say, Caroline, whoever's listening, I assume you're listening because you're interested in women's sports. Um, and my, my, you know, and I want to thank you for that, taking your time out of your day to, you know, hear our conversation. But I think every, you know, everybody can be an ally here in women's sports. I mean, everybody can buy a ticket to a game, watch, you know, on TV, um, support the dreams of a young girl. It doesn't even have to be your own daughter. Mm-hmm. It could be somebody in the community. You could be supportive of a, you know, of a local Y team or, uh, you know, local soccer team either as a, you know, as a coach, a volunteer coach, or, you know, if you have a local business, you know, you can be part of the financial foundation of these opportunities, but everybody, it's like the power of one. Everybody can make a difference. And so I really, you know, I think in order for women's sports to sort of continue to grow, they have to be accepted. They have to be celebrated. They have to be applauded. And at some point, you know, you need people to sort of back it with their time, um, you know, their interest levels, and at some point, maybe their wallets. And so I would just encourage everybody on the call today to, th- to think about that and, and do your part because society is better for it. You know, we're getting, you know, we're, we're, we're giving women the tools they need to be productive citizens, to be leaders, to help our country solve important problems. And sports can be a, a real sports. The skills learned through sports can be a real solution to some greater goods here. So I just encourage everybody to do their part. Such a great answer. Val, okay, last question. And this is the question we always close with here on the Business Case for Women's Sports. Can you summarize in a few sentences why you think it's good business to invest in women's sports? Well, it's not just good business. I think it's great business to invest. I mean, um, women um, are, you know, they're great athletes. They're great role models. Um, The entertainment value they're providing is real. It's only gotten better over the years. You know, they are uh, beacons, if you will, for young boys and young girls alike. They bring us joy through their athletic performances, you know, and society is a better place when women, I think, have equal opportunities to shine and to perform and to, you know, do what they do. And so, um, you know, for me, it's a no brainer. 
And, um, it, you know, it has been uh, a journey to get to this point. Men's sports historically, of course, have gotten kind of the load. You know, they're, they're more than their fair share of the, you know, the dollars and the interest. But I think women's sports time has come. And, um, I, you know, I think with everybody, um, you know, the, the, the power that, you know, you know, each individual and then groups of people can bring to uh, to, to women's sports, to me, you know, just, um, you know, speaks to the potency of what, what we can all do to contribute to this important societal component, you know, culturally, societally, et cetera. So uh, to me, um, you know, I hope anybody who's listening here who has a chance to invest either as a, as an individual or as a sponsor, um, and certainly as a fan, you know, thinks hard and comes to the same conclusion that I think you and I would have, which is that women's sports are a great bet. Couldn't agree more. Commissioner Ackerman, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Really appreciate you sharing your insights. And again, thank you for all you've done to accelerate the growth of women's sports. It's remarkable. And I just can't wait to see everything you continue to do in this space. Great. Thanks, Karen. It was really an honor to be with you. So thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Goals Podcast, the business case for women's sports presented by Ally, a change maker in women's sports steadfast in their commitment to the fight for media equity because we're all better off with an ally. To learn more about Goals and our work to bring more brand investment into women's sports, be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram or visit our website at goals-sports.com. And remember, it's simply good business to be in the business of women's sports.